Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Debrief. In a moment, we will be joined by Mike Lewis. Today, the topics are the conflict over Eucharistic adoration in Chicago. Then we will talk about when should absolution be denied in confession. And lastly, is limbo dead? Mike, welcome to the show. We're going to get into all of this in just a second. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Hopefully you can hear me better this week than last. I so. think we're going to we're going to get into it. All right, let's do this. Welcome, friends, to The Debrief. It's a weekly show where we dive deep into the news, questions, and controversies facing the Catholic Church today. I'm Dominic DeSouza, founder of Smart Catholics. And I'm Mike Lewis, the editor and co-founder of Where Peter Is. Whether you're a devout Catholic, a curious seeker, or just interested in the news and happenings in the church. Here's our commentary, analysis, and context on the topics you've asked for. So let's get into this situation happening in Chicago. We're in the middle of the Eucharistic revival. We're counting down to the Congress. And then there's this, this conflict in the heartland of how you, between the Eucharist and between adoration and Cardinal Supich. And can you give us an overview of what is going on? So basically what's going on in Chicago or what's going on nationwide is that the USCCB has, uh, you know, agreed to launch this Eucharistic revival which is going to culminate at, you know, at the stadium in Indianapolis um, as part of the lead up to this initiative. Um, my understanding is that there are four locations, you know, in different corners of the U.S. that are going to, um, young adults, I believe, are going to be processing um, across the country with the Eucharist. It's, it's um, you know, on foot, it's a pilgrimage. Mm -hmm. um, there'll be, I assume there will be priests and deacons, you know, holding up the monstrance, which is that large, uh, you know, golden apparatus where the, you know, the, the blessed sacrament is, is right in the middle of a sunburst. Mm -hmm. um, it's, um, and so this is, you know, this is part of the entire, um, you know, basically they're trying to emphasize devotion to the Eucharist, and to revitalize faith in the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. um, in the city of Chicago, they have restricted this some, somewhat. Um, in, in, I guess the article in the pillar kind of gives the, the best overall rundown of, of what's going on. Um, basically, the Archdiocese of Chicago, and I'm quoting here, um, has told organizers of the Eucharistic pilgrimage that while pilgrims may travel through the archdiocese during their processional walk to Indianapolis, they are expected to reserve the Eucharist in a ciborium, which is, you know, basically the bowl with the lid on it that that holds, you know, the Eucharistic host. Um, and then uh, rather than process with the Eucharist exposed in a monstrance as the pilgrimage will do in other areas of the country. Um, now, Cardinal Supic, uh, you know, there's 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 been some tension between Cardinal Supic and the vast majority of the bishops in the United States, and in a lot of cases, it's it's with good reason because, um, as I've written many times before, it's clear that the bulk of the U.S. bishops are not totally on board with Pope Francis's program. Um, They've been slow. You're talking about the synodal path and the, the synodal path, Amoris Laetitia. I mean, you know, okay. Laudato Si. Basically, the you know topics across the board. It seems 
that the, you know, the U.S. bishops, for the most part, are trying to do their own thing while um, and ignoring what Pope Francis is doing. Like, and one example is that last November at the bishops' meeting, and I believe the November before, the bishops discussed the need for a Eucharistic revival in in the U.S., which is a major initiative. Um, you know that that uh, you know is planned to uh, affect the entire church in the U.S., but very little talk was made about the global synod that's been, you know, it's already been in process for, for a year and a half. And this mm -hmm. is, people are describing it as the capstone of Pope Francis's papacy as something very, uh, you know, very high priority to the Pope. Um, and other initiatives such as Traditionis Custodes, which is the document that, um, called the church to, you know, to return to just one form of the liturgy, um, the reformed liturgy that was promulgated after Vatican II. Um, Cardinal Supic has been one of the few bishops who has actually, you know, followed this to a T. He's put out guidelines. He's been pastoral to groups that, um, you know, that celebrate the old liturgy, trying to get them with, essentially get them with the the program of the wider church. Um, and I think that might feed a little bit into his um, lack of buy-in for a better, for lack of a better word, uh, to this nationwide procession. Um, obviously processing with monstrances throughout the country um, is, a, is a pretty bold and dramatic move. Um, and as far as I know, Cardinal Supic is the only bishop in the entire country that has basically said, you know, let's let's tone this down. Um, Why do you think he's doing this? What's where do you think he's coming from? So I think I think there's a theological basis to this, for one thing. Um, and it's something that's been emphasized, like if you read the article, uh, the series of articles by Father Thomas Wynandy and and um, Mary Healy and uh, Dr. Catavini, I don't know what his last, I don't remember what his first name, what John, I believe, um, on the Reformed Liturgy, their series of articles in, in uh, Notre Dame uh, Church Life Journal. Um, you know, they say if we just focus, if this, if the primary focus of the Eucharistic revival is the real presence and adoration alone, and it doesn't emphasize the you know the purpose of the liturgy and the purpose of um you know the eucharist within the community like we call it holy communion for a reason it's right. it, you know it's basically a unifying element of you know who we are as a people as we are right. you know the catholic church um you know other so the thing is i think there's i think he he sees that desire um but I mean, as far as, I mean, from my perspective, though, this is a, you know, this is a devotion, a popular piety that is widespread among Catholics. And to mm -hmm. simply say, we're not going to do, uh, you know, this procession that the rest of the country is going to do, it is, I think it's going to, it clearly has upset a lot of people. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, a couple of months ago, I, I wrote a critique of an article by the Jesuit priest, Father Thomas Reese, who mm -hmm. also talked about the Eucharistic revival and, 
you know, he was a little bit derogatory towards the idea of Eucharistic adoration, which admittedly it's a practice that emerged in, you know, the medieval era when uh, Catholics hardly ever received communion. Uh, mm -hmm. The highlight of the mass, there were no microphones. They, you know, it was when the bells rang and when the, you know, when the, ho when the priest raised the host above his head so that the people could see it, mm -hmm. um, you know, and from that, there was a, you know, this practice of Eucharistic adoration developed where people spent time in the presence of the blessed sacrament. Um, it's something I've done many, many times. And I've, you know, I've had some tremendous spiritual moments in there. Um, but then again, a revival is a communal experience. There's something, um, private devotion is one thing being part of a united people of God is another thing. So I, I, I think that there are some theological reasons behind it. And I'm sure Cardinal Supich could uh, explain it better than I can. I, I will actually link an article uh, written by him uh, okay. sort of explaining this. But I mean, the backlash, I, I don't know that it's worth it because I don't think having a Eucharistic procession is, is a bad thing. Right. So what can Catholics do then? Is this something we can get involved in or we just have to wait for them to duke it out? Well, I think, you know, I, basically the bishop gets to call the shots in his diocese. There are There is one fact, you know, and for the benefit of uh, Catholics, especially in Chicago, but Catholics everywhere, and this is something I've been taught by priests, and this is what the church teaches, is that when we, uh, you know, pray before the Blessed Sacrament, whether... Um, the Eucharist is exposed in the monstrance or whether Christ is present in the tabernacle, which is indicated by the red light, you know, the red candle that's, that's, you know, either standing or hanging near the, uh, the tabernacle in the church. Mm -hmm. um, we receive the same graces. Mm -hmm. So we can always make our holy hour, even if we don't have the blessed sacrament exposed. Um, now it's one of those things like, Communion in, in one kind, if you only receive in the form of bread, if you only receive, you know, Christ's body in the form of the host, you still receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. Mm -hmm. But people, um, you know, a lot of Catholics argue that the, the um, teachings of Christ, the, the symbolism mm -hmm. of, you know, the Eucharist is, is more accurately and fully represented when you have communion in both kinds. So I think I think that's sort of a similar parallel when we talk about, you know, having adoration with where we can actually look on the body of Christ as opposed to in the tabernacle. But as long as we're in the presence, it's the same graces. So mm -hmm. we can console ourselves if we're unable mm -hmm. to make it or if, you know, the Blessed Sacrament isn't exposed. We do receive the same graces from God, whether we can see him or not. Thank you. All right, let's move on to our next point. We've got a, a piece that was published um, on Monday by Alessandra Harris in which she recounted a situation where a teenage family member was denied absolution by a priest in the Sacrament of Reconciliation, and it received a whole bunch of criticism. So prompting this question, when should absolution be denied in confession? What's going on here? Well, yeah, it's interesting because whenever, uh, you know, I receive a submission from, a, you know, from somebody on the outside, it, uh, people um, have no concept of the butterflies in my stomach, the, you know, the, uh, the hair I lose from my head. Um, 
she did she drew some parallels first of all the story went that um that she recounted was she went to her lifelong parish um mm -hmm. with a number of young people teenagers in her family mm -hmm. um this parish happens to offer absolution or offer confession during mm -hmm. mass um so the whole family was in line waiting you know for 45 minutes uh and eventually this family member went in and then came out looking upset um she asked what was wrong and he told her that the priest wouldn't absolve his sins she asked if he had expressed that he was sorry and he said yes of course i did um this was two years ago um this family member had been drifting away from the church um mm -hmm. then he was in a car accident and was starting to work his way back towards his faith mm -hmm. um that one particular incident held him uh you know has had a lasting effect it's been two years and uh he hasn't returned to the sacrament to the sacrament of reconciliation or the eucharist since mm -hmm. um she tied this into some of the questions that uh, that we discussed last week with, um, you know, the Pope Francis uh, documentary where he talked to these young people who were living lifestyles that okay. clearly aren't in line with the Catholic Church. But she talked about LGBTQ Catholic young people who feel that they've been rejected by the church, um, who've had bad experiences in the confessional, and that if people constantly... Uh, see the church as saying no or or not welcoming them that this can have permanent effects and possibly drive people away from the church for the rest of their lives um and that's why i i defended the piece a lot of people complained you know she gave some details because it was her lifelong parish and you know she wanted to give it the context it deserved mm -hmm. um she didn't name the priest but there were some details that Perhaps if people did some digging, they could find out his identity. Um, they thought that because of the seal of the confessional, he doesn't have the ability to defend himself. And I don't necessarily think that the article was uh, was an attack on this one priest in particular, mm -hmm. but um, that's the way some people seem to read it. Mm -hmm. uh, really, the issue is we need to take more seriously how we welcome people and, and especially priest confessors um, just to sort of help them understand the implications of what might be a, an easy decision to the priest could, you know, divert somebody else's entire life away from the faith. Mm -hmm. um, and so then this morning I wrote a piece that basically uh, recounted experiences of bad confessions, mm -hmm. um, naming some stories, some anecdotal stories of, of people in my own life who have had bad experiences in the confessional. Um, it, one of them, you know, one of the most outrageous ones was a story that, you know, had been passed down from my aunt, you know, it probably happened in 1976 or 1977. And she went to confession. Um, she was a young mother, she had like an 18 month old and a newborn. And she takes them into the confessional because she's, you know, she wants to go to confession, but she's, you know, a, a stay at home mom. So she has to bring these two little babies in with her. Mm -hmm. And this priest, you know, this older priest, the pastor of the parish, basically said, you know, once he heard the kid, he said, get, you know, get that child out of here. I'm not running an ecclesiastical playpen, you know, and devastated my aunt. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, I don't know that that would happen nowadays, but I know plenty of moms who bring infants in with her, with them. Um, But I mean, these are the kind, and my aunt basically said, like, if it had been, you know, if it wasn't me and my situation with my faith and knowing this priest, then I would have, um, you know, I, I might, I would have left and like, that was her impulse initially yeah, to walk out the door and never, you know, and never come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and Pope Francis is very sensitive to that. He talks all the time about not turning the confessional into a torture chamber, into making it, uh, an encounter with Christ. Yeah. Um, I loved how you wrapped that article with this, like, like a little script almost even of how to model that gentle, sensitive, uh, welcoming and celebration that <laughs> the fact that the person is there they might not even fully understand it, but they recognize there's something that is that they, they need, that they want, or they want to go through um, for their spiritual benefit. And it's benefit. funny because in the, I, you know, I, I quoted uh, two different chunks from the same address that he gave to confessors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and he specifically addressed the issue of when you need to deny absolution. Mm-hmm. And number one and number two, we're basically like, figure out if they're like, <laughs> figure it out again. <laughs> Is there yeah. a way that you could yeah. justify giving this person absolution? Um, mm-hmm. You know, number one was like, there usually is one, like, look for it. Number two was like, maybe they're not expressing contrition yeah. with their words, but maybe there's something in their body language or in their tone of voice that that is expressing some sorrow. Um you know, I quoted from the Baltimore Catechism, which basically said imperfect contrition is sufficient for the sacrament of, uh, of confession. Um, and yes, we want to work towards that perfect contrition. Mm-hmm. Um, and imperfect contrition means not feeling sorrow for your sins because it offends God, but because you're afraid of going to hell or because you have guilt. You know, it's more about the negative influence of sin yeah. as opposed to you know, the perfect contrition, which is perfect love of God and wanting to be fully in communion with him. But Mm -hmm. imperfect contrition, imperfect absolution in cases of imperfect contrition are what help lead us to holiness. Mm -hmm. Pope Francis talks about the help of the sacraments in Amoris Laetitia. He he doesn't talk about them as if they're prizes or awards. It's they help us. They are medicine. And so Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, I'm I'm a little disappointed in the uh, in the criticism, but I think that the sacrament of reconciliation, which anybody who's ever read where Peter is, knows that we regularly encourage this sacrament. We encourage, mm-hmm. um, you know, people to to have a conversion, to turn towards the Lord, to seek to do mm-hmm. the Lord's will. Um, and I think people were twisting the message as if we wanted to say sin is okay, or, you know, blow it off, you know, and, and I, I think that that was really unfair to, to Alessandra's experience. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think it points to one of the reasons why this synod is so necessary, because there yeah. are many people who have been hurt by the church. So and, we're going to include uh, links to these in the description for those who want to read on them. Speaking of disappointing criticism on issues relating to the afterlife, our last story today is is Limbo dead? And the reason why is Catholic Answers the other day published an article by an English Dominican priest, Father Thomas Crean, 
on Limbo. What's the overview here? So, yeah, um, I happened to notice on Twitter that uh, Father Father Crean posted this article um, on Catholic Answers, which is, you know, has always professed to be a, um, a Catholic apologetic site that's loyal to the Holy Father, that upholds the, the living magisterium of the church. Um, but unfortunately, in, in this case, and I've benefited a lot from Catholic Answers, you know, in my life. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, they, you know, they haven't been quite as strong in, in recent years. And, and this piece was, was emblematic. Um, first of all, to Father Crean argued that the um, teaching on limbo, which, you know, has basically since Vatican II been set aside. Um, his, his, and in 2007, the International Theological Commission put out a document um, basically saying that um, we can hope for the salvation of unbaptized babies. And it was approved by Pope Benedict. Um, popes have spoken about this. Yes, limbo still remains technically a possibility. Um, but I mean, going back, I mean, I know you grew up in a more traditionalist environment, and I don't know what you were taught about limbo. But you know, I was I was raised in a big deal. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was raised in a conservative Catholic environment, and you know, I, I always heard that you know, limbo. You know, Catholic most Catholics used to believe in limbo, but you know, that's they don't anymore, and we hope that obviously babies who, who lack reason, who can't, who aren't even given the, the, uh, the chance to be baptized, who die, mm -hmm. we can hope that a merciful God will save them. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Father and, Green and argued, not deny, effectively not deny them his presence for eternity and merely sustain them in a state of uh, purely natural happiness when yes. the human and, soul is intended for the the beatific vision the presence of god well and that's the difficulty of the teaching on limbo because it's a it's a hypothesis that was put forward by people like thomas aquinas it's like they obviously saw mm -hmm. that a merciful god and a just god would not you know damn a baby um for all eternity um or at least have them suffer the pangs of hell but he also believed that that without baptism they could never uh, partake in the beatific vision, mm -hmm. um, and so limbo was a hypothesis. It was a place on the edge of hell mm. where these children basically didn't know what they were supposedly wouldn't know what they were missing, and they would endure in an eternal state of um, you know what they called natural happiness, and it. I mean, that is not there's that's not in divine revelation. Right. You know, it's and a, even if you start picking that apart, it doesn't hold up with you know, a human soul could never be satisfied with. I don't know even what natural satisfaction would mean for a human soul. Yeah, so, I mean, on top of that, it requires God to actually remove part of that of that child's intelligence, spiritual lobotomy or something. Yeah. And, so it's I a mean, theological conjecture trying to sort of understand or it would say Part is a conjecture that emerged out of a phase of theological development in the church, and now it's been sort of honorably sunset. Is I think that, that I think that's a, a fair way to describe it. I think so. Saint Augustine did not have this concept of limbo, and his you know his impression was that because they were unbaptized, you know they would go to hell, but 
be punished very lightly. Um, <laughs> Aquinas, I think, realized that, that what punishment could they possibly deserve? These are, Earned. you know, yeah. Um, now, Aquinas wrote a lot about how babies are very sinful. Um, you know, they're selfish. Right. They cry. They drive their parents crazy. You know, and and it's baptism that lifts them above that. Um, Even I, then, <laughs> but okay. I think I, I think Thomas Aquinas saw that this was this was problematic. This did not yeah, line it's up. It's not just okay. exactly uh, or so merciful. Who, whose father Thomas Crean? Do you have a sense of who he is? Well, so and this is the other thing that's very problematic is that you know Father Crean is you know he's a very staunch. I don't know if he's a if he would self-define as a traditionalist, but he's a he's a very strong integralist. He's been a very outspoken critic of the church. I know he's signed multiple petitions accusing Pope Francis of heresy. Um, he co-authored a book on integralism, which is, uh, you know, it's a political theory that was popular in the, in the 19th century, where you have a confessional state that prioritizes Catholicism, um, has a very, very limited view of freedom of religion. And he went so far as to say that in in his ideal uh, confessional integralist state, that um, Jewish people and all the unbaptized would be denied citizenship. Um, a full rejection of freedom of religion with a little mm -hmm. anti-Semitism or a lot Good of anti-Semitism wow. sprinkled in. It's as if everything that happened after uh, 1962 in the church mm -hmm. didn't happen. Um, so the fact that Catholic Answers would platform somebody who is so opposed to the Pope and is, you know, so averse to uh, doctrinal development mm -hmm. and who holds such fringe views um, is is distressing, mm -hmm. um, especially when he's telling us, and this is what the article is saying, it's saying that Catholics are bound to believe in limbo because it was taught in uh, the 1439 Council of Florence. Obviously, that's not the church's position. Um, and it hasn't been for some time. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know why they're, you know, why they're, uh, why they platformed this. And, you know, it's a little bit troubling. And I'm, you know, obviously concerned about why Catholic Answers is, uh, you know, as an organization that cares about the truth, why mm -hmm. they are platforming this idea, which, yeah runs it clearly runs against what the church teaches today yeah it's also it, there's there's a a distinct lack of charity in this given the number of miscarriages that families have the and then the, i mean the level of abortions the numbers of them around the country around the world any thoughts on like why why a, they would revive a topic like this with you know so much energy like what do they think it serves you know, it's interesting because this tends to be a very um, popular topic with uh, with celibate males um, oh, who don't have any children, for one thing. Um, for a long time, obviously, they say there are certain things about the hereafter that are not revealed to us. You know, right. divine revelation comes from sacred tradition and it comes from the gospel and i mean the bible scriptures mm -hmm. and this is not part of scripture uh it might have been a uh you know a non-infallible doctrine for a while um and it's still taught as a possibility but it's funny because 
one time when when discussing it, I, I mentioned that it is a possibility and, uh, you know, that we it's still licit to believe it. And somebody said to me, yes, but since you don't have to, why would you? Hmm. <laughs> and, and that was a very good point. I mean, I guess we can't say anything about, you know, with with definitive about what happens, but our understanding of a merciful God has um, really points in that direction. Mm -hmm. um, you know, especially when parents have every intention of baptizing a baby and then they suffer a miscarriage. I mean, that that's happened in my life. Um, you know, Mine why? Well. Yeah. What's that? Mine as well. We've also lost a little one. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's 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 just it seems callous. And the fact that he's not only promoting it as a theory, but he's promoting it as a doctrine that we're bound to believe almost seems proud or boastful, um, yeah. you know, or, or intentionally and unnecessarily provocative. Retroactive or something. Okay. All right. Well, Mike, thanks for covering all of this, uh, giving us a sense of what's going on. Uh, next week, friends, we plan, uh, plan to discuss the what's seeming a rising topic right now, an Anglican Mass in a Catholic Basilica in Rome. Uh, how concerned should we be? What's going on? So we're going to chat about that and lead with that next week. Thanks again, Mike, for the debrief. Um, available links to all of these topics are in the description of the YouTube video or on wherepeteris.com. This conversation is brought to you from smartcatholics.com. It's the free online community for millennials, creators, and learners who are looking for conversations like these. Join our private Where Peter Is group to ask questions, share insights, and suggest topics for next time. And visit wherepeteris.com to read articles, commentaries, and spiritual reflections by and for faithful Catholics who support the mission and vision of Pope Francis. Please hit that like button if you're watching on YouTube. Share this episode with family, friends, and followers. And uh, be sure to subscribe to this channel so that you never miss an episode of The Debrief. And if you're interested in supporting us even more, consider becoming a Patreon sponsor for Where Peter Is. Uh, your generosity will help us to continue to bring valuable content to you and to enhance the quality of this show. Thank you for joining us, friends. When it comes to news and controversies in the Catholic Church, stay curious, informed, and engaged. God bless you. Goodbye. Thank you.